Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Floppy head heartthrob of just about everyone's dreams. He was also the committed boyfriend of model and actress Liz Hurley. So when police caught Hugh Grant in a car with a sex worker, the media went into overdrive. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Well, hello. Hello, hello, hello. It's Hugh Grant time. I am so excited about this one. This has been, I know we say this about a lot of our scandals, but this was one of the ones we brainstormed the minute we decided that scandal was something we wanted to pursue. Like it's been top of our list. It's just been a matter of sort of where to place it, how to write it, because it's not an uncomplicated story. No, it's not. It's also so interesting to me that this was top of mind for you and I because this scandal happened in 1995 when we were one. But I feel like it's one of those scandals that people seem to reference pretty often. Like I I always knew about this growing up that Hugh Grant had this controversy and I was always intrigued. Yeah. And if people are sitting here being like, I've clicked in because you've got me with Hugh Grant, but I don't actually know what the controversy is. Well, it was that in 1995, he was arrested for engaging in what the police call a lewd act act. with a sex worker. I think for me, the reason I really wanted to cover this is A, I'm a long time Hugh Grant fan. Massively. Are there many people that aren't? I love Hugh Grant. I love him so much. My mum loves him so much. I think every woman in my life, every gay man in my life loves Hugh Grant. It's the fact that he plays the same character in every single movie as well and I'm obsessed with the characters he plays. I don't know why. I can't explain (laughs) it but I am obsessed. And the thing for me is with this story, you're right, I think that this controversy has been referenced a lot over the years but we didn't know how bad the press were at the time or the details of the story or what happened to his relationship with Liz Hurley. Like there is so much to it that I was like, I am desperate to get the details, right? Yeah, I think that's so, so fair. Also so interesting. I mean, we know that this scandal was so high profile. We know that people have spoken about it for decades now. And yet the bulk of Hugh Grant's career, the bulk of his success happened after this scandal. So it's not like this derailed his career at all. Yeah, I would say what 85 to 90% of his career happened yeah. after this. Like Notting Hill, one of the greatest oh. movies of all time. Love actually, an enduring success no matter what the naysayers want to say around Christmas time. Fuck, he's got some good movies to his name. Notting Hill has to be, and I think we've said this on Shameless before actually, just whenever we get the opportunity. Notting Hill has to be one of the best rom coms, if not the best rom com. Of all time. Every time I go to London, which is not that often, (laughs) 
<laughs> but I always make a commitment to myself. I've probably been, what, three times yeah. to watch Notting Hill on the plane. Aww. It's like a ritual I have with myself and I love it. I also, this is going to be slightly controversial, I also really liked music and lyrics back in the oh, day with Drew film. Barrymore. About a Boy is an absolute classic. As I said, love, actually, you can't go past with him as British Prime Minister, whatever his name was in the movie. <laughs> Doesn't he refer to Margaret Thatcher as a saucy little minx in that movie? <laughs> yeah. He's amazing. So there is so much of his career that happened after this. So if people are nervous about listening to this saying, oh my God, what's going to happen to Hugh after this? He was fine. He was fine. But Zara, there were some victims of this story and we want to really talk about that sure. as well. Before we jump to that night in 1995, Let's go all the way back to the very beginning. And the beginning of this scandal, Zara McDonald, takes us to the year of 1960. Alrighty, Michelle. So he was born in September 1960. He was the second son to James, a carpet salesman, and his mum, Finvola, a teacher. Yeah. Now, Hugh Grant's family struggled with money for a time. The recession in the 1970s wiped out the carpet business where his dad worked, and that obviously put some pressure on the family and some strain on the family. Also, Zara, a bit of a different twist in Hugh Grant's rise to fame. It wasn't as if he was this child actor destined for stardom. Yeah, for sure. Like so often when we cover famous people and successful actors in these episodes of Scandal, we come back to the same point where their families looked very similar in terms of the hobbies of the parents and the interests Mm. of the parents. We also talk a lot about how these people got agents, landed commercials and broke out in the big screen from a really young age. But that wasn't the case for Hugh at all. He became quite famous a bit later in life. He didn't become an actor, in fact, until years after working in an office job. Yeah. Now, he was interested in performing as a child, though. He started out playing the White Rabbit in his grade school production of Alice in Wonderland. And he has said that he was a pretty gregarious child. He said he was always just showing off as a child, doing silly voices, liking the limelight. One teacher of Hugh Grant's later said that he was always assuming different characters around people too. The teacher said Hugh was very, very friendly and like now, very self-deprecatory. The little kids here now say, did he always have a Toffs accent? That's partly natural, partly put on. He has always been putting on different persona, anything to make an effect on other people. I always love when the teacher's claim to fame is having taught someone very famous and they get to do the rounds doing the (laughs) interviews. Now, Hugh actually won a scholarship to study at the respected Latimer Upper School in London for high school. What I am surprised about, and I feel mean saying that, (laughs) is he was clearly a really smart guy because he went on to score a scholarship to pursue English lit at Oxford in 1979. Oxford, if you don't mind. It's not easy to get in. No, it's not easy to get in and it's not easy to get a scholarship there either. Yeah, really quite interesting. And there at Oxford, he continued to kind of dabble in acting for fun. He joined the Oxford University Dramatic Society and starred in a film produced by the Oxford Uni Film Foundation. So clearly had this part of his personality where he really wanted to sort of dabble in drama and arts, but seems perhaps that for a long time it was just a hobby on the side. Absolutely. This was something that was kind of simmering away on the periphery of his main life. Like his main life his was main life. his main life. 
he's a leading a double life. His main life, though, was he wanted to be quite serious about his career, go down a conventional career path, and drama was just something he liked on the side, as you said. He was always regarded as a super charming guy. Fellow actress Anna Chancellor once said in an interview that she met Hugh at a party at Oxford and that, and I quote, there was something magical about him. He was a star then without having done anything. That quote makes me think a lot about whether some people are just born to be famous or Mm. born to like be a star. Those kinds of people like Hugh Grant who have that kind of magnetic charisma that is best suited in a role like being an actor. And like, are there many people in our day-to-day life who have that charisma, who don't channel it into those kinds of jobs? Yeah, well, it reminds me a bit of our Kylie Minogue scandal series where people would say she just had this X factor, like this unquantifiable thing about her that made her really captivating. It seems like a lot of these celebrities are kind of just born with it a yeah, lot of the time. Yeah, 100%. And it's like, are you born with it and then you learn to sort of... Hone it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So after graduating in 1982 with second class honours, Hugh Grant went on to pursue a postgraduate degree. But during the summer, as he was getting ready, he was gearing up for even more study, one of his student films came out. And at the premiere of that film, Hugh was approached by an agent who offered to represent him. He thought that he might do a little bit of acting on the side for just a year instead of writing essays at the time. Yeah, exactly. He has said in interviews he was actually committed to doing his postgrad and this sort of got in the middle of that and he thought, you know what, I might as well try. Now, immediately, this story seems so funny. He was actually cast in a film starring Mel Gibson. That film was called The Bounty. Only this is the most English twist on this story ever. He never actually ended up in the film. Now, it might sound a bit confusing, so bear with us. But in We were confused. We were super confused. In England in those days, you actually had to be a member of the acting union to do films. And the way you earned approval was by working in regional theatre. So Hugh thought, and he said this in an interview with Janelle Riley from Variety, which we will reference a little bit throughout this episode, is that, well, okay, I'll go and get a bloody equity card. So I went off to Nottingham Playhouse and played Tree in the Wind and third shouting peasant, things like that. He said he was slightly bored doing small parts, but that he also wasn't professional enough and late for rehearsals. And the head of the theatre used to say, you are very good looking, but very badly behaved. I have taken your part away and given it to Carl. Who the fuck is Carl? I don't know who Carl is. But just honing in on that for a second, a really interesting and as we said, very English take on, I guess, meritocracy, right? Yeah. Britain's not always known for its meritocracy. That idea that it's like you have to earn your stripes before going into a Yeah, you have to be member of like an elite club, an acting union to be considered an actual actor. It's so like pompous somehow. It's so utterly British. Yeah, it's like go do regional theatre, like go do those shitty parts that he was bored doing before you can possibly deserve that role next to Mel Gibson. Yeah, it's like an acting licence. Yeah, It's strange. It's odd, isn't it? Yeah, but anyway, Hugh Grant kept going. He ended up writing a popular comedy show with another actor and would perform that at pubs and small theatres. But mostly, Zara, he was working in advertising. He was actually copywriting for big brands, which he loved. He said, I used to write commercials for Mighty White Sliced Bread. I can see him being a good copywriter and good in advertising, right? Yeah. I I can see that. Absolutely. I can see him on the commute every morning on the train looking like that handsome floppy-haired 
ad guy. Well, more than anything, I can see him writing the copy. He's clearly got a wit to him, right, and a comedic flair and comedic timing that I think would absolutely have to help you in the advertising world. Yeah. But all the while, Hugh was chipping away at a career in acting. It wasn't until five years later in 1987 that he won his first leading role as a bisexual aristocrat in a production of the novel Maurice. Before he got that part, Hugh said that he was in a pretty dark place in a sense that he had basically by this point given up on having a successful acting career. He was about 27 by this point. Mm. And I know that's young. I mean, I'm 27 right now. Mm. I can imagine in this industry people kind of think – it's now or it's never. Yeah, I agree with that. Though this performance was, I don't want to say breakout role because that's overemphasizing it. It's a big role for Hugh's career. Breakthrough? Breakthrough. That's a great one, Zara. Yeah, you're welcome. I love having you on this show. A breakthrough role. He definitely started to get momentum because of his role in Maurice. He actually won Best Actor at the Venice Film Festival and then landed a part in the movie Rowing with the Wind. And while People Magazine described that historical drama as forgettable, it was where Hugh actually met Liz Hurley, Zara, who was five years his junior. Exactly. So while this is an episode about Hugh Grant, we want to quickly talk about who Liz Hurley was at the time he met her Mm. because she is also a crucial player in this story. She is indeed. Liz was born in the UK in Hampshire and grew up with her older sister Kathleen and younger brother Michael. She also grew up with a keen interest in performing. She actually went to ballet boarding school as a kid, which I didn't even know existed. Yeah, nor did I, but it also seems like one of the more British things as well. (laughs) After an era, she says, as a rebellious teenager with pink hair and a nose ring. And just as an aside, the photos of her are really iconic it's from this so time. Funny. She pursued a career in acting. She scored a few small roles in TV and theatre before landing a part in the movie with Hugh Grant. Yeah, so Hugh Grant and Liz Hurley soon started dating after meeting in 1988 on Rowing with the Wind. Liz later said that she thought Hugh, and I quote, looked particularly fine in those cream britches, which if you're wondering are those old school pants people used to wear in like the 1800s for fencing and horse riding. Thank you for that explainer. She also said, there was an instant rapport. He made me laugh. Over the coming years, Hugh and Liz, quite surprisingly actually after meeting on the set of that film, were really struggling to build their careers. They were, as we said, five years apart. He was 27, she was 22. And they had those small roles but really weren't pushing to find much else. Hugh did say that their experience in the both brutal and glittery acting world brought the two closer. He said, we went from zero to somewhere together and we went through terrible years at the beginning, what we called the winter of discontentment when neither of us had any work, living in a tiny flat. It was quite bonding. Isn't it odd now, knowing what we know, seeing how much their stars rose over the coming years, to think of Hugh Grant and Liz Hurley staying in an apartment together, really fucking struggling to crack through. There's something romantic about it, isn't there? That like two of the most famous people in the world now, did start dating when they weren't as much of a big deal. And this might be jumping ahead or it might be a little bit of a spoiler alert, but it is quite common knowledge that Hugh Grant and Liz Hurley are really good friends still to this day, best friends still to this day. And it makes quite a bit of sense, right, if they were – 
starting out together at the same time and found similar levels of fame, yeah. that would just bond you in a way that not much else could, right? Absolutely. No, like so few people have that experience of life. If you yes. find that in someone else and you fall in love with that person, it makes a lot of sense that that person becomes a fixture of your life even if the relationship ends. Slowly though, Hugh did start to score roles in critically acclaimed films like The Remains of the Day. By contrast, as the BBC once wrote, Liz's acting career in the early 90s was hampered by a poor choice of movies, including roles in the forgettable Passenger 57 and Beyond Bedlam. So you've got these two young people. They both want to be in the entertainment industry. One is starting to get traction in Hugh Grant. Liz Hurley, not so much. She is kind of I don't know, not flailing, but she's just struggling to find her way. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Struggling to find her way and struggling to carve out her space in this world. So as you said, Hugh's fame did start to override Liz's and by many accounts, she kind of started to become known as Hugh Grant's girlfriend. Despite gaining some traction in the industry, Hugh said his career did take a dive in the early 90s and after accepting, and I quote, every piece of crap that came his way and I also quote, was doing dodgy miniseries that got worse and worse in quality before they dried up altogether. At that stage, he said, although he sort of had a name for himself and had some good stuff on his resume. Good-ish. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, he wasn't getting anywhere big. No. And that was all about to change when one script landed on his desk, Mish, and we are going to get to that script after the break. Great segues. All right. Thank you. All right, we're back. Before the break, Zara, you said a script one day landed in Hugh Grant's letterbox that changed the course of his life. That script was for a film written by Richard Curtis, the man who went on to actually give us Love Actually, Notting Hill and About Time. So he is a big friend of the show. Yes. Shameless. I must be honest, I hadn't actually heard of Richard Curtis before this episode of Scandal and... Didn't realise he's one of the most influential people in my life. Yeah, absolutely. Richard, don't know if you go by Dick, we love you here. Thank you for all your work. Anyway, the script, Zara, was for Richard Curtis's upcoming film called Four Weddings and a Funeral. Correct. Who said that when he went to the audition, they actually didn't want him for the part. Or when I say they, Richard Curtis didn't want him for the part. Hugh said Richard thought that he was, and I quote, completely the opposite of what he saw as the character. In fact, in that interview that we referenced with Variety's Janelle Ryan, Hugh actually said that he thought Richard Curtis wanted to hire someone for that role that was more like Richard Curtis. Like yeah. Richard Curtis wanted to hire a little Richard Curtis. Which, I mean, it sounds wanky, but then putting myself in his shoes, don't a lot of writers sit down and write a story with a protagonist that they feel like yes. is almost them? Or they're connected to for sure. Yeah. But Richard Curtis reportedly was persuaded by the producers to take Hugh on. A good decision. Now, Hugh had no idea that Four Weddings and a Funeral was going to be successful at all. Actually, when he sat down with some of the crew and cast to watch a rough cut of the film, he said they all thought, and I quote, this was the worst film that had ever been perpetrated. We're going to go and immigrate to Peru when it comes out so no one can actually find us. Alas, after a few cuts and edits later, they did a test screening with an audience and everyone in the crowd lapped it up. They really fucking loved it. I think actually... We didn't touch on Four Weddings and a Funeral in the intro to this episode, but I do think that's my favourite Hugh Grant movie. Really? More than Notting Hill. It is such a spectacular movie. The movie premiered in 1994 off a budget of $4.4 million and made more than $245 
million dollars at the box office. That is ridiculous. They are ridiculous numbers, hey? Yeah, and those ridiculous numbers made Hugh an overnight star. For his role in this film, he also earned a Golden Globe and a BAFTA. He has said that was the last time he ever had to audition for a role. People fell so in love with him. They were so enamoured by his performance in Four Weddings and a Funeral He just instantly kind of set up a career for himself from that point on. Yeah, absolutely. To sum it up, the praise was pretty endless for Hugh in this film. Take this from the New York Times, for example. This film has a light, engaging style that is very much its own. Much of the mood is set by Hugh Grant's Charles, whose dapper good looks and bashful manner make him understandably popular as a best man. And Mr Grant, who is a hard actor to miss at the moment, he also plays a minister in Sirens and will soon be seen in Roman Polanski's Bitter Moon, turns this into a career-making role. So people knew this was massive at the time. Like people were saying this is career-making as it was happening. This isn't something with hindsight at all. No, no, these were reviews from the time. I think you can see some careers as they happen, explode. You know, Margot Robbie in Wolf of Wall Street. I'm pretty sure anything you read at that time would be, this is the start of something great. This is the next big thing. The glowing reviews did not stop there. Variety wrote this. Hugh Grant's just got the combination of good looks, rueful self-disparagement, quickness and bespeckled nerdiness to carry off refined, sophisticated screen comedy. And so he was put in a box forevermore (laughs) and that's all he ever played. (laughs) Truly. Washington Post review announced loud Loudly, women, at least those I talk to, just love Hugh Grant. They just love that little Englishman. It's hard to say this and retain my guy card, but I sort of like him too. <laughs> what a funny quote. I mean, it is from 1994. That little Englishman. I mean, mildly patronising, but I'll run with it. The film, also in a roundabout way, actually brought far more fame to Hugh Grant's girlfriend, Liz Hurley. Now, Hugh Grant, we should say, was about to turn 34 yeah. when all of this was going on. So... Again, not old by any stretch, but certainly past the point that you think you're going to have a breakout role, right? Yeah, to be like one of the most famous people in the world. I think if you get to 33, 34, you're probably thinking, well, maybe fame and like fortune for the rest of my life isn't coming for me. For sure. Liz was turning 29 that year and she was still with you, of course. She completely stole the show and made international headlines after she turned up to the film premiere wearing this strappy, plunging black Versace gown that was held at the sides by huge gold safety pins. It also had like this huge leg slit as Mm. well. The dress is now so famous that it has its own Wikipedia page. Now, either two things are going to happen. People are going to remember that dress off the top of their mind or they'll be madly Googling it on their phones right now, assuming they're not driving or doing anything like that. And they will see it and be like, oh, yes. Yeah, I remember listening to a podcast series about the Versace story and the Versace family actually credit that dress with their resurgence as a brand. This came at a time when they weren't as relevant. Liz Hurley wore this to the premiere and the brand exploded. Like we really cannot overstate just how influential this dress was in fashion. And I think when we spoken about before I think we did this around the Oscars perhaps about talking about how red carpet moments can often make a career Mm. and not in a shallow way but if you're really good at having a moment like if you know how to create a moment on a red carpet you can really create a career around that in many many ways and that's kind of what happened the media lost their minds as CNN wrote the dress and I quote would change the trajectory of Hurley's career thrusting her out of Grant's shadow and into the international spotlight yeah now 
Now, to give a bit of context, red carpet looks were surprisingly modest for the mid-1990s, but this did spark a revolution for showing a little more skin and being a little more daring. That article went on, by reclaiming skimpiness for the wearer and reminding us just how far a single look can get you, Hurley arguably paved the way for Jennifer Lopez's plunging green Grammys dress in 2000 and Halle Berry's sheer gown at the 2002 Oscars. Not long after she wore that dress, in March 1995, she was announced as the face of Estee Lauder globally, despite having no prior modelling experience. Estee Lauder president Robin Burns said at the time that what advertisers need is someone who can project a broad range of emotions from sultry to very innocent, very warm and touchable. That was Liz. Together by the mid-90s, as I'm sure you can imagine, with Liz Hurley, the global face of Estee Lauder and recognised now as one of the sort of biggest models of that time, and Hugh Grant, one of the biggest actors of that time, became one of the most iconic British couples, I would say almost ever, right? People loved them and I think also... As we mentioned before, there's something about knowing that they'd been together for so long as well before all of this exploded. Yeah, it was about knowing that they had been through thick and thin together when they were, and I put this in quotation mark, nobodies. And even now that they (laughs) were somebodies, they were still going absolutely strong. They were so committed to each other. Which brings us (laughs) to June 1995. Ah, yes. As we said, Hugh was rapidly rising in success by June 1995. People magazine wrote at the time that he was, and I quote, a shy, beguiling Brit who shot to stardom as the bumbling bachelor in last year's surprise smash for weddings and a funeral and was every mother's, not to mention sisters, daughters, aunt (laughs) and grandmother's dream. You can just feel the sense of foreboding when you read these quotes. You really, really can, particularly every mother's dream. Now, people described Hugh Grant as a clever and charming 34-year-old who loved his mum and dad, adored his longtime girlfriend. They said he was bold enough to be naughty, quoting him saying things like, I've always had a crush on cheerleaders, Catholic cheerleaders, my double favourite. <laughs> that is so Hugh Grant. It's so Hugh Grant. People noted that he was, and I quote, honest and enough to admit that well yes he was quite fond of the attention and the other rewards that fame brings and recently fawned over his new mercedes-benz after years of crappy old cars they were certainly setting him up to be the lovable kind of larrikin but still the kind of guy that you would take home to your mum and grandma the vibe is cheeky he's a cheeky boy but we love him and he loves his mum and dad and he loves his girlfriend yeah now apparently in that article it said Hugh had only made a hundred thousand dollars for four weddings which is not at all a lot for a blockbuster movie that went on to make more than 240 million but because it had been such a hit and he had become such a star his next film apparently had a paycheck of about six million dollars Yeah. Do you want to do the maths on that? No. 60 times what he was paid. (laughs) So after four weddings and a funeral, Hugh landed this role, this lead role in the Hollywood rom-com Nine Months. It also starred Julianne Moore, Jeff Goldblum and Robin Williams. So pretty star-studded lineup. In the film, Hugh plays a child psychologist whose girlfriend unexpectedly falls pregnant and he struggles with the idea of being his dad. Yeah. Sounds very Hugh Grant. Yeah. In a recent interview, he actually spoke about how he was aware that his fame could be short-lived. He said he thought at the time, it's reached the straining point where it's a bit sink or swimmy. I mean, if nine months goes well, then maybe I'll go on being at the top. But I think I could quite easily fizzle back to sub-zero quite fast. And that makes me 
extremely tense. So he said he was going into this movie feeling a lot of pressure to perform, which is why what happened next was perhaps all the more dramatic. Yeah. So at the end of June 1995, Hugh was spending the weekend in LA doing his typical press junket for nine months. Monday, the 26th of June, my little brother's birthday, shout out to Tom, (laughs) was Hugh's day off. Here's what happened. He spent the evening eating sushi and drinking sake with the film's director, Chris Columbus, at an upscale LA restaurant. At 12.30am, Zara McDonald, Chris and Hugh parted ways. Now, according to People magazine, Hugh then climbed into a white BMW and headed east down Sunset Boulevard. About an hour later, around 1.30 on Tuesday morning, he pulled the car over to the curb. Yes, he did. There he spoke with 23-year-old sex worker by the name of Divine Mari Brown. Her real name is Estella Marie Thompson. And the LAPD cops who were watching the encounter described her as a known prostitute in the area. I should say as well, that is the language that they were using at the time. Mm. Apparently, Hugh paid her $60 or £37 to perform oral sex on him. Yeah, the police waited for Divine Brown to get into Hugh's car and park down a nearby residential street before walking over and arresting both of them for engaging in a lewd act in a public place. Both Hugh and Divine were hauled down to the LA police station where they had their mugshots taken. In the photo, Hugh was wearing a striped shirt and staring sheepishly at the camera with hunched shoulders. This mugshot is, unfortunately for Hugh Grant, iconic as well. I was just about to describe it as iconic as well. Incredibly infamous shot because I think sheepish is absolutely the only word to describe it. When he has his shoulders so hunched and high that he just, you can see the discomfort and the embarrassment written all over him. Yeah. Like there's no sort of him trying to be chill about it. He was clearly quite, I mean, he knew the implications for all of this. Yeah, his bumbling bachelor persona that everyone had grown to love was completely kind of invisible in this photo. This photo, he just looked like a man who knew he had fucked up. Yeah, and we need to be really clear about the timeline here. It was June 1995. His next film, Nine Months, the one that he had all that pressure on to perform because it's coming off the back of Four Weddings and the Funeral. It's very make or break. What's the rest of my career going to look like? is coming out in a matter of weeks. He's in the middle of doing press for everything. So it's not like, and I reckon he would know this, he can go and hide away. He's in LA of all places. Yeah. So Liz, who had been Hugh Grant's girlfriend for eight years by this point, was actually back in London when this all went down. Hugh Grant knew the story was going to be breaking quickly. I mean, everyone would have been ravenous for details about this. People magazine reported that while at the police station, he actually called the headquarters of his production company that he owned with Liz Hurley called Simeon Films in tears. He knew that he would find Liz there and that he needed to talk to her urgently. Yes, and they were fresh business partners too as well. She was there and she found out about it just before the press found out. But we didn't hear her perspective on it for a little while and we will get there perhaps in the next episode of how she's spoken about finding out about this. But meanwhile, back in LA, Hugh was released on $250 bail 
And as soon as he was released, Mish, his publicity team sprung into action. Yeah, Hugh quickly released a statement that went on to become kind of like the blueprint for the celebrities who would find themselves in scandals after him. It read, last night I did something completely insane. I hurt people I love and embarrassed people I work with. For both things, I'm more sorry than I could ever possibly say. But Mish, as we know, the damage was done. This was everywhere. This was global news because he was an international star. He was in the middle of a press junket. He had a film coming out. He had a long-term girlfriend. And it really was all destined to explode. Yeah, and explode not just for Hugh. And I want everyone to know, we both want everyone to know, we will talk about this a lot in episode two. Estella Marie Thompson's life exploded because of this as well. And Hugh was not the only one who was affected by this story. The sex worker at the heart of it all was absolutely dragged through the mud as well. So I cannot wait to sit down with you next week and really unpack number one what happened to Hugh Grant's career of course that's why we're all here but number two the gross ways the media used to talk about sex workers and women yeah and I don't think many of our listeners will be surprised about how grubby the British tabloids got in this time and then the British tabloids have probably the worst reputation of any media across the world but you can only imagine how dire things got when they tried to chase down Estella Marie Thompson for Mm. sure to get her side of the story and we will detail that part of it will detail how Hugh dealt with it and we'll also detail the very iconic interview that Liz Hurley did with Barbara Walters in the wake of it all. Yeah, that is all next week on Scandal. Thank you so much for joining us as always. It is a delight to have your ears for these episodes. It's also a delight to have Justine Landis-Hanley as our researcher. The three of us research all of these episodes together and we are so grateful for all of her work. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, if you want to see some quite nostalgic photos, jump over to our Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We publish them every morning when these episodes go live and we promise you we will have that iconic Versace dress there too. We will, absolutely. Also follow us on TikTok at Shameless underscore podcast where we'll get some videos up about this time because, my God, I'm feeling the nostalgia and I want to go back to the mid-1990s. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. We will be back in your ears on Thursday for another wrap in the week that was in pop culture and then we'll be back for part two on Monday. Bye. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.